Good evening and welcome to our midweek Bible study. Uh, thanks for joining us. Tonight we're going to um, have a lesson that was based on one written by Raymond Woodward called Forgive One Another. But let's pray and we'll start our study in prayer. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful, Lord God, we are able to study your word. I pray you'd be with us, Lord God. Speak to us through the word tonight, Lord God. Let us be reminded of something or draw closer to you, be transformed more into your image, Lord God, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to start tonight from the book of Ephesians chapter 4, beginning at verse 30 of Ephesians 4. The scripture says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamour and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. And that's wonderful advice that the Apostle Paul gave to the church in Ephesus. Put all, let all bitterness be put away from you. Let all wrath and anger and clamour and evil speaking be put away from you. Be, let malice be gone. and We should be kind to each other, tender-hearted, and we should forgive one another, just as God in Christ forgave us. And many times in Christian circles, it's, we almost pay lip service, as it were, to the idea of forgiveness in that we, it's something that we say, but we don't necessarily address some of the objections people raise about forgiveness because forgiveness is not a natural um, thing to do. The, the, our flesh, our, our natural desire is to hold grudges and so forgiveness is something that we need God to help us with. And we are prone to tell only one side of the story. We, we extol the benefits of forgiveness, which are many and true, but we uh, might fail to mention how hard it can sometimes be to forgive someone who's truly wronged us. And if you think about it, have you ever heard a sermon preached against forgiveness? I can guarantee you haven't. Well, you shouldn't have. Hopefully you never have. Have you ever heard of a spiritual advisor counselling someone who's, who's a victim of, of, of an offence saying to them, what happened to you is so awful you'd be a fool to forgive? It's all right for you to hang on to those feelings of bitterness and hurt for the rest of your life. Well, that's any true advisor would not give any such bad advice as that. No pastor would advise someone to do that for their own good. And yet that's what many people choose to do exactly that to themselves. They counsel themselves not to forgive. They counsel themselves to hang on to an offence until it adversely affects them. And the real issue is not that we can't forgive, is that we think we shouldn't have to forgive. That's the real issue. After all, if we're the victims, if we're the one that wrong was done to, why should we have to do something that's uncomfortable or, or unfair or, or hard? Why should the person who hurt us be allowed to get off what seems scot-free without punishment it seems sometimes? Isn't, surely there must be a legitimate reason it's not to forgive at some time but the biblical answer to that is no, there's never a reason not to forgive. In the Sermon on the Mount that's recorded in Matthew chapter 6 verse 14 Jesus said these words, he said, If you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. That's quite strong words. 
and he's talking about people who sin against us in other words who offend us or who hurt us who do something wrong to us he says if we forgive them our heavenly father will forgive us when we do something wrong but if we refuse to forgive them then our heavenly father will not forgive us our sins and we often think that forgiveness lets them off the hook too easily it's not they should have more of a consequence of the offense than forgiveness gives them because one of the major hindrances to forgiveness is the fear of further abuse. We have a legitimate concern that, that forgiving someone will give them permission to hurt us again. Or maybe even worse things to happen to us. They're just, you know, if, if I'm going to forgive the offence that you've done, maybe that will invite you to do something even worse to me. And that's a legitimate fear. And that's probably, possibly, what prompted a question from Peter to Jesus. In Matthew chapter 18, verse 21, Peter came to him and asked, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? And we sort of kind of laugh at that and think, what, like a number? You're giving a number, so I'm going to forgive him seven times and then that's it? But that's, that makes sense in a way. How many times am I willing to give someone, forgive someone for committing a same, the same serious offence against me? Surely there's a limit. There must be some point where, okay, that's, I've forgiven you for the same thing multiple times, that's it, you've reached it, the end. And that seems to place a lot of responsibility forgiveness upon us, upon the victim. And isn't that wrong, that the offended is the one who has responsibility, not the offender? Isn't that just like victim blaming, which of course is never a, a good thing to do. It's never the fault of the victim if someone behaves poorly. It's like coming across someone who's the victim of a hit and run and telling them to take care of their own injuries while you go and tell the driver of the car not to worry about it. But that, I think, is just a wrong idea of what forgiveness actually is. And we often think that it's unrealistic to place the forgiveness burden on the victim. Is and it's not logical in our human reasoning to expect the victim to be able to let go of serious hurts. Uh, that seems to be impossible. Aren't we asking people, or isn't Jesus rather, asking people to do the impossible? And as I said, that's because we have a wrong idea of what forgiveness is. We'll discuss that a bit more later, what forgiveness actually is. But first of all, let's look at this idea of, of it being too hard to do, forgiveness being too hard to do. Because the word of God doesn't exempt us from tasks just because they might seem difficult or unfair. There isn't a caveat applied to God's word. There isn't, then there's a commandment, there's not an excuse, as it were, or times when it doesn't apply. It applies in all situations. There's, there's the things that are hard still apply. In Matthew 5, chapter 38, uh, sorry, chapter 5, verse 38, rather, Jesus said, you have heard that the law says the punishment must match the injury. That's what we think it should be. He goes on to say, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, because that's what the Old Testament law said. Jesus says, do not resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, offer the other cheek also. If you are sued in court and your shirt is taken from you, give your coat too. If a soldier demands that you carry his gear for a mile, carry it two miles. That seems... Um, unfair 
doesn't it? It's, so we're not only expected to forgive, we're expected to actually go beyond that. It doesn't seem reasonable for God to expect this of us, to, to, that a victim would have to struggle for years to get victory over something they didn't cause or deserve, while their offender just seemingly goes on with life as though nothing happened. So in other words, forgiveness seems unfair. Our objections arise from a basic misunderstanding of forgiveness. Forgiveness is not about denying pain and saying, denying that you were hurt, denying that you were wronged. It's not about letting the offender off the hook at all. It's not about blaming the victim because victim blaming is not fair. And most importantly, forgiveness is not unfair because God cannot do anything unfair. The scripture says that God is just. He's the described in the New Testament in many places as the just one, the just one. To be just means he um, does justice. He gives justice. And justice means doing what's fair. So a person receives what they deserve, what they're entitled to, what is rightfully theirs. That's what justice means. And we want, when someone says they want justice, they mean they want what they are entitled to, what's rightfully theirs. In Romans chapter 9, verse 14, it says, Are we saying then that God was unfair? Of course not. How can we say that God is unfair when he is the just one? And if you think about it, we'd all be in trouble if God was only the just one. But Jesus, the scripture says, came full of grace and truth. And truth is justice, truth is what's right, truth is what someone deserves, but grace is um, an acceptance or a forgiveness of that. If God was only a just God and not also full of grace and not also merciful, then justice would say that we deserve the consequences or punishment for our wrongdoing, for our sin, for the, all the things that we've ever done wrong or against the, the word of God or, or, or the bad attitudes we've displayed and the sin we've, we've done. Justice says we deserve consequences, but the grace of God took the consequences on our behalf. His mercy extended grace to us and he instead gave us forgiveness from the debt that we owe him. Because the Greek word translated forgive in the scripture in the New Testament carries the idea of a release from some type of obligation. In other words, most commonly a financial obligation or a debt because an offence means a debt is owed. And that's how Jesus most often illustrated the concept of forgiveness in, in the scripture. He talked about financial obligations to give us a, an understanding of other types of obligations or forgiveness. For example, in Luke chapter 7, verse 41, it says there was a, he gave, he's told a parable, he said there was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me therefore which one of them will love him more. So this scripture, this parable gives us some understanding about forgiveness. The money lender chose to release both of the debtors from their very real obligations. The money they owed him was real. It wasn't a figment of his imagination. They actually owed him money. 
and he had a legal right to be repaid. He was an innocent party. He hadn't done anything wrong. In fact, he was actually good in that he loaned the money to them and he had not done anything to deserve not to be repaid. And the borrowers had a legal obligation to pay. They were in legal debt to him. But there was a deficit between their debt, which was their obligation to pay, and their resources, which was their ability to repay. There was a, a gap, as you, if you like. They owed this debt, but they had, did not have the resources that allowed them to repay it. But accounting says, justice says, the books have to be balanced. And the greatest misunderstanding about forgiveness is that it's simply overlooking someone's transgression. That is not what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is not ignoring that there was a debt. Forgiveness is not pretending that an offence never happened. Because the truth of the matter is someone always has to pay. Because an offence always creates an obligation that must be satisfied. So let's say, let's use another analogy. We lend someone some money. They don't repay us that money. We decide to write off the debt. We just say, I forgive you that debt. So that is the essence of forgiveness. We take the cost, we take the, 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 the debt onto ourselves, but that then doesn't necessarily obligate us to lend more money to them. That's not doesn't say that we pretend that they never borrowed the money at all. Rather, it's a, we decide to carry the payment that's required. We choose to release our offender from that obligation. So we acknowledge that a wrong's occurred. We recognise that there is an obligation for repayment of that wrong. But we choose to release our offender from that obligation and to cover the lost ourselves. And most of us have no trouble with the first two. We can quite easily acknowledge a wrong's occurred and we are very happy to recognise there's an obligation for repayment, that, that they owe us um, recompense for the wrong that's occurred. Where we struggle is the choosing to release them from that debt. The stumbling block is, the, is that third ingredient of forgiveness. Jesus uh, answer to Peter's question about forgiveness anticipated such objections and offered us some compelling reasons to unilaterally forgive. What I'm saying, so Matthew chapter 18, verse 21, Peter came to, to Jesus, and when we mentioned before about the seven times, the seven times, surely there's a limit. Peter came to him and asked, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? But Jesus' reply said this, no, not seven times, but 70 times seven. And that doesn't mean 490, that's the limit. Perhaps when that, what happened after that is, is, is telling as well. After maybe, maybe there was a brief pause to let that impact of that heavy statement sink into his disciples. But he goes on to, to relate an even more dramatic and unforgettable story to drive that point home in verse 23, the very next verse. He, get, he told this parable. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with servants who had borrowed money from him. In the process, one of his debtors was brought in who owed him millions of dollars, millions of dollars. He couldn't pay, so his master ordered that he be sold, along with his wife, his children and everything he owned to pay the debt. But the man fell down before his master and begged him, please, please, he said, be patient with me and I will pay it all. 
Then his master was filled with pity for him and he released him and forgave his debt. This man had a huge debt, a huge debt. And Jesus used this parable of the king um, um, being owed millions of dollars by a man who was unable to pay it. And then he had pity on him and forgave him his debt. Although the servant had absolutely no way to even make the smallest payment in such a huge debt, he just begs for a little more time to try to make such a payment. Must have been a pitiful sight to see him grovelling. And such a beautiful thing that the king did because he felt compassion for the man. He felt pity for the man. And that's, this is, once again, this is a perfect illustration of what forgiveness actually is. The servant owed a, re- a very real debt to the king. It's not wasn't imaginary. They didn't have to pretend they didn't owe it. There was a real debt. And the king had every right to expect the debt to be repaid to him. There, is an ob- there was a real obligation for repayment. But then came forgiveness. The king voluntarily released the servant from his obligation and covered the loss himself. And that the reality is... The first lesson from today, really, the first major point is that forgiveness is often the only way to settle a debt. Realistically, what option did the king have? Would the slave's imprisonment have resulted in even one dollar return to the king? Yes, he was going to sell his, he was sell, put the man in prison, sell his wife, sell his children, sell his goods, make them bond servants. But that's not going to make very much difference. The debt's still going to be there. What advantage was going to be gained by demanding from the slave remain behind bars for the rest of his life? Reality is the king was holding a debt that was uncollectible. There's no way that man would ever have the capacity to repay the debt that was owed. And many people struggle with offering forgiveness because they are unaware they're holding a worthless debt. There is, there's, there's a really, actually is an ob, a debt that's owed. And there really is an obligation for repayment, but there's never going to be the resources to pay that debt. It's a worthless debt. People mistakenly believe that there's some payment they can extract from their offender that will compensate for their loss. Understandably, they want vengeance. They want, they want vengeance. They deserve that payment. But the truth is very few people have the resources to pay the debt for their offences that they have done. And I've seen this many times, and it's, it's actually quite sad in some cases. Someone was wronged or hurt by someone else. This wrong or hurt that was done to them seems to become an obsession for them. If you like, the, like the, in the parable, the king made an accounting of, his, of the debts owed to him. And that's what it seems to become for people. They actually spend their time counting the debts that owed to them going through the, the books, seeing the actual debt, seeing who owes the money, and that's what they're focusing on all the time, continually counting the debt, continually reckoning the, the debt that's owed to them. And sometimes they're doing this for years. I've seen people do this for decades, counting the debt that's owed to them without even realising it's a worthless debt. It's never going to be repaid and never could be repaid. The reality is the debtor has, would never have the ability to pay back the debt. And in many cases, nothing could be done to repay the wrong anyway. 
I've thought of people, I've even said to them in that they've held on to, a, to an offence from many years ago when you say, what can that person do to right the wrong? And the only answer is they need to go back and make it not happen in the first place. Well, that's just not possible. We acknowledge that there is a debt. We acknowledge the wrong happened. We acknowledge the offence. But we also acknowledge there's nothing they can actually do to repay it. It's beyond the resources that they have. It's beyond the resources anybody had. Just like this king who the man owed millions of dollars to, this man was never going to have that kind of money to pay. And it may not be a shock to you, but it, sh it shouldn't be a shock to you. Most debts can never be repaid. Most debts are worthless. Because what satisfactory payment could someone ever give you to compensate for some of the terrible things that happen in life. You think about some of the offences and some of the things that have gone wrong and then some of the things you've suffered. What could someone give you to make that okay? They can't. It will never be okay. The debt is worthless. In some cultures, there's the concept of payback where if a wrong is done to you, you do a wrong to them in return. But all that does is lead to an endless cycle of hurt and 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 sorrow and unfairness and it just that means when they repay back then you've got to pay them back and it never stops it never stops and suddenly Jesus outlandish it seems solution of turning another cheek does doesn't seem so unreasonable at all does it because the second part lesson for today is that forgiveness frees us to get on with our life it breaks that endless cycle of hurt it breaks that endless cycle of payback it gets rid of the debts that can never be repaid and this king was smart enough to know that he had too many responsibilities to allow himself to be distracted by one slave's obligation. People who I, I know who are consumed by debts owed to them, let that affect every other area of their life. It cripples them in every other area because they're too consumed on the debt that can never be repaid to them. Sometimes the only sensible option is to cut our losses rather than risk needless preoccupation with a hopeless situation. Why should the king spend every waking moment checking with a royal bookkeeper and neglecting the rest of his kingdom duties? Why should we spend all our time counting the debt owed and taking our mind and focus about the good things that we can be doing? And each one of us will have many situations arise in life where we are much more concerned about someone's obligation to us than they are. <laughs> we are holding an offence that they don't even know that they've committed. They don't seem concerned about it at all. But if we hold on to that offence we in fact become, become an emotional hostage to our offender. They're holding us hostage without even knowing that they're doing it. One of the best reasons for forgiving someone is not what it does for them, but what it does for you. It's often said that letting go of a rattlesnake helps the snake, but it benefits you as well. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a crowd, huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith let us strip off every weight that slows us down especially the sin that so easily trips us up and let us run with endurance the race that is God that God has set before us and this is a well-known verse often quite a verse about laying aside the sin that so easily besets us and that's what we tend to focus on the sin lay on lay off or strip off the sin get rid of the sin that 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 so seriously hinders your race and and trips you up but this verse also tells us to strip off every weight that hinders us everything that's not sin that still causes us 
um, pain and problems in running the Christian life that God has given us to do, the race that he's set before us. And unforgiveness, that's a crushing weight. That will prevent you running any race. It will weigh you down more than anything can. And forgiveness is an antidote to needless suffering. Can you imagine the relief the servant must have felt as he left the palace knowing that his million dollar debt had been forgiven? Unfortunately, then he had an evil thought. In verse 28 of Matthew 18, when the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars. So it wasn't an insubstantial debt itself. It wasn't just a few cents. He owed the king millions of dollars and this man owed him thousands of dollars. It was a, it was a, a reasonable size debt. He grabbed him by the throat and he demanded instant payment. His fellow servant fell down before him and begged for a little more time. Be patient with me and I will pay it, he pleaded. That's, that sounds very much like his actions before the king, didn't it? Verse 30, but his creditor wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested and put in prison until the debt could be paid in full. When some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset. They went to the king and told him everything that had happened. Then the king called in the man who had, he had forgiven and said, you evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? That sounds a lot like some of our scriptural admonitions, isn't it? Forgive as you've been forgiven. Verse 34, then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he'd paid his entire debt. That's what my heavenly father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. Ooh, that, that last verse. That's what my heavenly father will do to you if you refuse to forgive. Those who refuse to forgive will enter their own private torture chamber, if you like. They sentence themselves to a lifetime of needless pain. They're giving themselves sorrow and pain never ending if only they chose to leave that chamber, if only they chose to take that weight off them that's crushing, if they only chose to, to release that debt that's owed to them. You know, the Bible's term for unforgiveness is bitterness, bitterness. And the Greek word translated bitter comes from a word meaning sharp or pointed, just as there are certain tastes and smells that are sharp to the senses, all of us can recall offences committed against us that may have occurred years ago but still hurt us when we turn them over in our mind. I know there's things that happen in my life and if I, if I think about it, immediately the, um, the feelings rise up again. The feelings that I, thought, that I felt back then when the offence happened, it rises up again, like it's stabbing me like a blade. Bitterness is like a blade stabbing us again and again. Don't risk poisoning your life by holding on to a grievance. Hebrews 12.15 in the Amplified Bible says this, exercise foresight. Now, words, be thoughtful about the future. Think about what's going to happen in the future. Exercise foresight. Be on the watch to look after, look after one another in order that no root of resentment or rancour or bitterness or hatred shoots forth and causes trouble and bitter torment, and the many become contaminated and defiled by it. So a root of bitterness, a root of unforgiveness, doesn't just defile you, many can be contaminated and defiled by it. With every offence that happens to us comes a choice. We can hold on to it and become bitter, or we can release it and become better. 
And continually reliving our hurts infects not only our life, but the lives of those around us. The strongest argument for forgiveness is the consequences of unforgiveness. Forgiveness is the obligation of the forgiven. If we've been forgiven, we have an obligation to forgive. It must be astonishing to God sometimes that those who have been forgiven so much would refuse to forgive so little. While the pain that someone has inflicted on you is real, it's negligible compared to the wrong we've committed against God. That's the ultimate reason why we should forgive. Forgiveness is surrendering the right to hurt you in return for hurting me. Forgiveness is breaking the cycle of hurt. Forgive one another for their sake, for your sake and for his sake. So the two major points we want to learn out of this lesson about forgiveness is one, forgiveness is often the only way to settle the debt and two, forgiveness frees us to get on with our life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word tonight. We thank you, O oh God, for reminding us of our need for forgiveness and for our need to forgive others. It's easy for us to remember all the wrongs done to us. It's easy for us to remember the hurt. It's easy for us to acknowledge, Lord God, that there is a debt. And it's easy for us to remember that there's an obligation for someone to pay it. Lord God, help us to realise that the debt is worthless, that the consequences of, of holding onto that debt far outweighs or in a negative way, the benefits of releasing it. So I pray in Jesus' name you would help us to release those debts, oh God, to cover them, to pay them as it were, to choose to let them go, oh God. That doesn't mean, oh God, we're giving them permission to hurt us. It doesn't mean we're, we're saying they didn't hurt us. It's just saying that we love you and we want, Lord God, to follow your ways, Lord God, your word, because that, Lord God, brings life and life more abundantly. And we thank you for this lesson tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.